Welcome to Fresh Take, where we at Florida Organic Growers speak to food systems experts about topics related to organic and sustainable agriculture, healthy lifestyles, and the environment. To help us continue our programs at FOG, including our podcast, consider becoming a sponsor. For more information on sponsorship, check out our Get Involved page on our website, www.foginfo.org. Hi, everyone. It's Andy at FOG. Just wanted to pop in and remind you that the 2024 Organic Food and Farming Summit is coming to Tampa in April, and tickets are currently on sale on our website at www.foginfo.org summit. And now, on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to our latest Fresh Take episode. I'm your host, JC Rodriguez, uh, and today I'm lucky to have Jesse Haskins with us, co-hosting this particular episode. Today, we're going to be talking about protecting farmlands, sustaining futures in the Greenbelt Law. And we are very fortunate to have uh, with us on this particular episode, Catherine Campbell. Catherine Campbell is a assistant professor and extension specialist of community food systems in the Department of Family, Youth and Community Sciences at the University of Florida, uh, the Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences. Uh, welcome, Catherine. Thank you for having me. So generally, Catherine, we always want to give the opportunity to our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves and anything they want to share, how it was that you got involved in this field. You actually, you know, are working in my old department, the Family Youth and Community Sciences at at UF. So I'm familiar with some of the faculty at FYCS and some of the people that work there. So Really excited to hear what you have to say about the Greenbelt Law today, but we wanted to maybe hear some of your experiences, some anything, anything that you want to share with us today. Oh, great. Thank you so much. I didn't know that you were an FYCS alum. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so I started working in community food systems uh, as an outgrowth of my background, actually, in ethics and political theory. I was really interested in ethical issues that face communities and came to realize that food systems are the linchpin of public health, resilient communities, equity and sustainability, a lot of things that um, are really important. And I know what Organic Growers is working towards uh, supporting those efforts as well. And so that's, I made a transition from, you know, working more in ethics to working directly in food systems And lately, you know, due to Florida's urbanization, I've been doing a lot of work on understanding, you know, as you mentioned at the top, protecting farmland uh, and understanding how agriculture and farming fits into our rapidly urbanizing state. And so, you know, there are a lot of uh, policy and regulatory issues that are associated with, you know, those urbanization trends, which is part of how I ended up being interested in this topic of uh, the green belt. Mm-hmm. Great. And so Jesse, who I introduced earlier, is an attorney. And so since we are talking about the uh, Florida green belt law on today's episode, I thought that maybe the two of us can share a little bit of information how you know, how it works and and because it it is something that is a law. Just wondering how you all felt it affects, you know, farm operations and and property taxes. The the greenbelting law essentially is 
designed to to promote uh, agriculture uh, and from a tax perspective to make it uh, affordable and and worthwhile as a commercial enterprise. Uh, It is designed for those who can show that they have uh, some plan to make a profit through agriculture. And and agriculture is, is actually, or for agricultural purpose, has been interpreted quite broadly uh, because it's it's defined in the Florida statutes to include farm products. Uh, and farm products is essentially includes any animal that is useful for humans. Uh, and so that in turn has been uh, interpreted by the courts to mean even if it's for the purpose of companionship or entertainment, that would still be considered an agricultural purpose. So when there was a, a person interested in making a, a profit off of, of agriculture, raising uh, wild birds uh, for people to buy as companions or entertainment, that was also found to be within the scope of, of the Greenbelt Law. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in your particular case, Catherine, with the, the work that you're doing, some of the aspects of, of this law are part of your research, is my understanding, or just interest in some of the focus that you are currently involved in? Well, yeah. So um, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm interested in you know understanding more about you know, quote unquote, urban agriculture, as I'm sure you know, 44 out of 67 counties in Florida are now classified as urban by USDA, and virtually the entire state is considered to be urban by the Census Bureau, which makes it a little bit hard for us to understand, like, how we differentiate urban from rural agriculture uh, in a a state like ours. But part of how I ended up on this topic was there was a question that kept coming up both from um, people in local government, as well as people who own farms, and understanding you know, what the status of their farms or their land parcels were, whether they are eligible for um, the, the Greenbelt tax assessment, as well as how the right to farm law connects with the Greenbelt law and how it applies to urban farms. So it's this sort of question that that kept coming up in my research and my extension work with with small farmers here in Florida. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and just for purposes of providing a little bit of background, perhaps it's something that Jesse has already hit on to some extent. Just wondering when the law was passed, if you you, know, you could maybe provide a little bit of that information and how does it really impact people and what the overall purpose? I know it's like three questions or just <laughs> for us to sort of, you know, discuss a little bit and provide that information to, to our uh, listeners. Sure, sure. And, you know, if if Jesse would like to jump in, um, I'm happy for him too. But, you know, my understanding is that both uh, the Greenbelt Law and both Greenbelt and the Right to Farm Law were passed in response to urbanization trends. In the case of Greenbelt, I think it was in the 1950s. Uh, And then the Right to Farm Law was in the 1970s because the state legislature appreciated the importance of the agricultural industry to the state, and they wanted to pass these laws to help farmers. And in the in the case of the Greenbelt Law, it uh, impacts both 
farms or farmers directly, as well as uh, counties, because it has implications on property taxes. And so if you have the Greenbelt property tax assessment, you pay a lower amount of taxes. And Mm -hmm. so it can impact counties as well by reducing some of the income that they would receive from property taxes. Mm -hmm. So I don't know, did I answer all three parts of the question? Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) So in terms of just maybe we can dive a little bit deeper into understanding. And once again, for people listening and who've heard about the, the law and are just wondering what qualifies, and I think just you were alluding to it to, to some extent just a, a minute ago about, you know, a bona fide agricultural operation or agricultural purposes under this Florida Greenbelt law. Could we talk a little bit about that? Because uh, we're speaking about also urban versus rural, somebody who might have a operation where they have animals or they have a few plants, whether those be fruits and vegetables or ornamentals, for example. What what qualifies as agricultural purposes under the Florida Greenbelt Law? Well, you need to show both agricultural purpose and a plan, an actual plan, to make this somewhat of a profitable pursuit. In other words, if you're engaging in in agriculture or gardening uh, just as a hobby or just to fulfill your own household's needs and, and aren't going to actually sell it for profit, you're not going to get the benefit of this statute. That doesn't necessarily mean to get the benefit of the statute. You need to show a a convincing business plan or that you've actually made a profit. The the requirement is essentially showing through a number of factors that the purpose of use of the land is to engage in agriculture uh, for a profit. Okay. Okay. Uh, And that is very important. You know, here at FOG, a lot of what we hope we're doing is providing farmers and even people who at this time, you, you mentioned it, may not be necessarily farmers or you know running their operation as a bona fide farming operation, meaning that they are doing it for profit as opposed to a hobby. But once they, you know, people really start doing, you know, some of the things also that you, that you mentioned a plan putting together an actual plan, then they go from being hobbyists, farmers, or producers to, you know, a business, correct? Well, I, I think there there needs to be more than a plan. There actually does need to be substantive activity on the land in pursuit of that plan as, as well uh, for the most part. And it's somewhat of a a not clearly defined line or or standard uh, in terms of what qualifies as uh, substantial activity, especially when we're talking about preparing the land. There are cases, for example, where there might be some uh, tilling or, or the beginning stages of preparation of the land for an agricultural purpose, especially if it's only in the beginning stages uh, and it's done in an isolated way. Even with the plan, that probably would not be enough to qualify 
that year. And, and basically, it's how the land is used on January 1st to qualify for green building. But if there's more substantial preparation, if, if most of the land, uh, for example, is tilled and prepared, and perhaps there's some lease or other type of agreement that indicates that the land is going to be used for agricultural purposes, then there's, there's essentially more of a, uh, of a basis for getting that agricultural classification. Mm-hmm. So what what are uh, and I think maybe you you're sort of explaining in the terms of that appraisal what are some other additional things that have to be considered when determining that that land qualifies first for you know that agricultural uh, classification so just preparing the land I think is what you were saying is wouldn't be enough right Yes, one of a number of different factors is the use of of certain standards and agricultural practices. Uh, another factor, for example, is is the size of the land, mm-hmm. and that's no longer a strict cutoff amount. But the property appraiser could use basically their own experience and conception and look at at what the uh, specific agricultural purpose is. For example, cattle grazing is probably going to require uh, substantially more land to get started as a as a profitable agricultural business compared to uh, to beekeeping, if only just because of of the size of the animals and their own space requirements. So size is one factor. The purchase price of the land is another factor whether the amount of time it was used for an agricultural purpose, whether uh, that was continuously, those are are all uh, different factors in terms of determining a bona fide agricultural purpose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Catherine, was there anything that you maybe wanted to add to that? I guess I I would like to I guess just mention a clarification that comes up a lot when I'm communicating with farmers. They often have a confusion with thinking that being zoned agricultural means that you have the green belt and those aren't actually the same thing. So uh-huh. and you know as as Jesse just went through um and in detail sort of there are a lot of factors that determine whether your property could be considered bona fide agricultural, but just the zoning itself being zoned agricultural isn't the determinant. So you can have land that is zoned agricultural that isn't considered bona fide agriculture as a use. And then you can also have things that are not zoned for agriculture, but they could be being used for bona fide agricultural purposes. So it's just, I wanted to clarify because I know farmers get confused about this. Property zoning is not the same thing as this sort of classification for tax purposes. Okay, very, very important. Thank you. And thank you for mentioning that. And in terms of just the tax savings, so potential tax savings, any of you maybe aware or know what farmers can expect from the uh Greenbelt exception in terms of those tax savings? I did a little bit of sort of non-systematic research to try to get an answer to this question. Uh, About a year ago, I was trying to get a good answer to this question. And Jesse can also jump in here. But what I found is that it varies pretty widely depending on, you know, 
your area of the state or the county. Part of that has to do with how property is taxed with other uses. So if you are in a very urbanized area or near the coast where property taxes are really high, um, having the Greenbelt tax exemption can have a much larger impact than being in an area with sort of generally lower tax. So in, you know, in some cases, it, it ranged from like it, it could be 500% lower, 100% lower, like it really just depends where you are in the state and what the other property taxes around are for what your taxes would be prior to getting that tax assessment. Mm-hmm. I would uh, would add that once there is a determination of agricultural use, if it continues to be used for that purpose and there's not a, a change in the nature of the land, it's easier uh, to maintain once classification is determined, as long as it's for the same purpose. So those savings, it's not necessarily just a one-off occurrence for the year. Okay, good, good to know. And in terms of, and I think what most people are by now, you know, wondering, (laughs) those listeners uh, who are farmers or considering becoming farmers, how can they apply for the Greenbelt tax assessment? It starts with the, uh, an application to the property appraiser. Property appraiser can make, I believe, inspections. Uh, I don't think they necessarily have to be announced, but the property appraiser's office is going to make the initial determination. Okay, good. So I wanted to maybe ask Catherine, because I know that there is some of her work does involve perhaps uh, helping you know farmers with the application or to apply for the uh, Greenbelt Agricultural Tax Assessment. And there was even a EDIS publication, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct, Catherine? Yes, that's right. Yeah, we have an extension publication that you can reach if you just Google for EDIS, E-D-I-S, and IFAS. Um, it'll take you to the page. And there is a document there that gives sort of an overview of how to apply. And I think it needs to be updated, but when we originally put it together, we had hyperlinks and phone numbers for each county's property appraiser site. And so uh, people could start there. I know that we've had some changes in elections with property appraisers, but that would be a good resource for people to access. And, and then so once once that somebody finds the, the publication, they can also, you know, contact your office, contact you directly if they have additional questions or any other things that you, you can help them with? Yeah. So if anyone uh, reads the EDIS document and has any questions, the first step would be to reach out to your county extension office, your county IFAS cooperative extension office. And they have people there who would be able to help farmers in their specific county and their sort of local context. And then any questions that they may have or things like that, they could refer to me for, I guess, more complicated cases. Okay. And, and are you in Gainesville? Uh, your office located in, in Gainesville? or I am. I am located in Gainesville. Okay. So I know that this is, this is a topic. Uh, certainly a, a topic that's sort of 
fairly new to me in sort of understanding. And, and we hope that today we at least provided some, you know, information to all of our listeners and some guidance and information that can help you at least know that there is an option for, for many of them. So we really appreciate having Catherine and Jesse explain to us, you know, what the uh, Greenbelt Law is all about. But I also wanted to, once again, give the uh, an opportunity, especially to Catherine, to give us some other information or tips, maybe perhaps resources. They can also find you right on, uh, you have a page on UF uh, website where they can find a little bit more information about the work that you do. Yes, I do. I actually have a, a website that's Urban Agriculture and Community Food Systems. Um, and we have some information there to help you know, beginning or aspiring farmers learn about considerations for starting a farm, particularly if someone's interested in urban farming. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have some information um, to the role that local food production can play in supporting health of members of the community. Right. And we have some information for policy makers and planners, so the people in government that are creating the policies that are, you know, making the playing field for our farmers. We have some information for them as well to make sure that they're educated about agriculture and the needs of farmers. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much to the both of you for, you know, talking to us today. We really appreciate your time and, you know, all of the valuable information you've shared with us today and to all of our listeners, we invite you to continue to join us at Fresh State for more information about this and other similar topics. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thanks, JC. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Puerto Organic Growers is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. So to keep our content available and free to the public, we need your help. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen, and consider making a tax-deductible donation or become a sponsor. Learn more about our work and how you can become a sponsor from our website, www.boginfo.org.